Obviously, the passage that Susan just read was from Matthew in the first century talking about how it all began for us, the Christmas season, how the light guided the Magi to Jesus. But this light had been talked about for hundreds of years before that. This was not the first understanding of it. As a matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah told of this light that was to come, encouraged the people to be looking for it, just as God continues to invite us to look for it, to watch for it in our lives. Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen among you. For darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the people, but the Lord will rise among you, and his glory will appear with you. Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away and your daughters shall be carried into, in their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. All of those from Sheba shall come, along with Midian and Epaph. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. Hundreds of years before that Matthew passage, God was directing, leading, showing, inviting, calling. I often, and maybe you do too, Complain about how dark it is at this time of year. But imagine living in the little town of Barrow, Alaska. It's located at the farthest northern tip of Alaska. It's above the Arctic Circle. You haven't seen anything if you think it's dark in Minnesota this time of year. In Barrow, Alaska, the sun sets in the afternoon on November 18th and rises again. Wait for it. On January 24th, 65 days of darkness. 65 days when the sun doesn't shine. The earth is tilted up there so that the sun never shows itself for over two months out of the year. But when the sun does rise for a moment, on January 24th, the whole town comes out to celebrate because finally, There is light again. Maybe the prophet Isaiah is speaking to the people of Barrow, Alaska. When he writes, arise, shine, for your light has come. Our passage talks about a different kind of light and a different kind of darkness, doesn't it? And when God's special light begins to shine through that darkness, the results are much more spectacular much more joyful than anything we could experience in northern Alaska. According to the great biblical scholar, Google, (laughs) Epiphany is traditionally the official end of the Christmas season, occurring 12 days after December 25th. It's often referred to as Three Kings Day or Little Christmas or the Festival of Lights. 
It is believed to be the day the Magi arrived in Bethlehem and delivered gifts to the new earthly king. So my friends, today is the last day of Christmas season. Sorry. All this is gone tomorrow. Do you know what the word epiphany means? An epiphany is when something reveals itself or shows itself. It's one of those moments when you utter, oh. For example, in Barrow, Alaska, after 65 days of darkness, the sun finally reveals its glory for everyone to see. That's an epiphany. In the church year, the epiphany season is when Jesus revealed his glory for everyone to see. One could sum up epiphany with one phrase, from darkness to light. Remember from the passage, arise, God says to you, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. The Bible sometimes paints the picture that the world is living in darkness. That we are people who have been waiting and waiting and waiting for the sun to rise. See, God says darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people. But the light has come. That's what Christmas is all about. That's the hope of the new year, isn't it? So friends, let's not miss the wonderful message of, of Epiphany this year. The message that light has come to the world, to you and to me, to shine into the darkness of the world around us. Let's not miss the hope Jesus' light brought that first Christmas and keeps bringing, keeps bringing to us. Had a few days off last week, and I'll give you a little clue on what I read when I'm not at church. Did you know in December 1903, after many attempts, Wilbur and Orville Wright finally succeeded in getting their flying machine off the ground? Wilbur and Orville, they had to flip a coin to see who would be the, the pilot. That sounds scary. <laughs> Orville won. That's why he was the pilot. Side point, did you know the wingspan of a jumbo 747 is longer than their first flight? <laughs> Thrilled by their achievement, though, they telegraphed a message to their sister, Catherine. We have actually flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. Well, Catherine hurried to the local newspaper editor and showed him the message. The editor glanced at it and said, oh, how nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. <laughs> the editor had totally missed the big news. The story of the decade. Humans had flown. We should ask ourselves, this epiphany. Can we miss the story? Are we missing the story at times? The story of the decade, of the millennial, of literally all time. Did you know that in 1969, Neil Armstrong, dates us a little bit, Neil Armstrong took the historic first step for mankind. 
into the dusty, desolate surface of the moon. Inside a space suit pocket, you might not know, was a piece of muslin fabric that came from the left wing of the original 1903 Wright Flyer airplane, along with a piece of wood from the airplane's left propeller. Humankind overcoming the laws of gravity and being able to fly is impressive. Leaving planet Earth and its atmosphere is even more impressive. But I like the quote by Apollo 15 astronaut James Irwin. Irwin was the eighth person to walk on the moon and the first to ride in the lunar rover. Some 238,000 miles from Earth, Irwin pondered, the greatest moment in history was not when man walked on the moon, but when God walked on the earth. How about that? Irwin's reflection is an excellent example of what epiphany means. Biblical epiphany marks the visit of the mysterious magi as they encountered Jesus. Literally, epiphany means something like appearance, realization, or awakening. It addresses what might be a sudden realization of a truth or reality of life. It's like, it's like one of those cartoon characters trying to think of something, and finally this light bulb pops ahead of them. So the question of the morning is why does the story of the Magi qualify to be called Epiphany? First of all, we know about the long journey this undetermined number of folks embarked upon from the distant east, perhaps from Africa or Asia. The Magi knew about the birth of a new king by seeing a new star, a significant light in the skies. But they had not yet experienced firsthand the wonder, joy, and celebration of meeting who that light pointed to. The Magi knew that this new king's arrival, the birth, was unique and special, so special that they knew they had to go as far as it would take them to see and experience it for themselves. So the Magi traveled the long and challenging journey from the east, following the star that promised them such a great reward for the struggles. We know from our story in Matthew that they met with King Herod. <clears throat> they found a man full of fear about the threat of this new king being born and how it posed a threat for his power and authority. And we know from history, he was a ruler who would not stop at anything to presume, preserve his status as king. The Magi's journey still needed to be completed. They had not found the child in the beauty and luxury of a royal palace as expected. Our passage tells us they continue following the star to where they eventually found Jesus. And the story tells us that they had brought gifts for this king. We just sang about him, didn't we? The first mentioned gift was gold. Gold was the usual offering presented to kings by their subjects or those wanting to pay respect. When the Magi presented gold, they were honoring Jesus with their very best because they recognized that Jesus was king. The second gift 
offered from their boxes by the Magi was frankincense. Frankincense is a very costly and fragrant gum distilled from a tree found in many places worldwide. Frankincense is highly aromatic when burned and was therefore used as incense in worship. It was burned as a pleasant offering to God. And the last gift, interesting, brought by the Magi was myrrh. Myrrh is an aromatic gum produced from a thorn bush that grew in Arabia and Ethiopia. It was attained from a tree in the same manner as frankincense. Did they wonder as they pondered that gift to bring if this king would somehow endure the pain of a brutal death? So they gave him myrrh as a perfume used to anoint a body for burial? After the giving of gifts, this magi went then on their way back home. But by a different route, they were avoiding Herod at that point, just as they were told to do in a dream. A little side point in there just to remind us of God still leading, still guiding that process. So why do we call the visit of the magi, this event in the ongoing story of Jesus' birth, Epiphany. The epiphany was refer, we refer to is not so much the visit of the Magi, but much more to do with what it brought to the world. The visit of the Magi offered an awareness of the reality and the hope that Jesus had been born into the world as Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the epiphany, my friends. The Magi brought to us a new and vivid realization that Jesus had come to bring us hope in this life, new life, into a new relationship with God that they all had longed for. And that would be for all time going forward. What had until then only been the words of the prophets was that which they had been waiting for, longing for, had now come. God had come to earth to be with and remain with those who would recognize this epiphany. In Jesus, God came close and would stay close in every experience of human life. That's the promise. Indeed, in Jesus, God with us, God would experience the whole spectrum of human emotions, joy and celebration, fear and profound sorrow. He would even suffer human death so that God could transform death into eternal life. This new understanding of God's nature and purpose, this revelation, was so that we could know that God had come close to creation, to you and to me, that we might experience all the many epiphanies that God has for us, that God's love for us offers in Jesus. Last Sunday, was New Year's Eve. Often when, perhaps more than any other, when we look back over the past year and look forward to what the year ahead might bring. In our looking back and looking forward, let us seek the presence of Emmanuel, God with us, in every life experience 
in the joys and in the sorrows, in the light and in the darkness, in health and in sickness. In this reflection, we then must ponder what our response will be. What might we give of ourselves in response to God's greatest gifts? As we ponder and the beginning of this new year, recognizing this great gift, this light that has broke forth, what will our response be? For God came to us that first Christmas to stay. As we discover God's presence with us, we experience our own epiphanies as we awaken to the truth and reality of God that is continually being revealed to us. I believe one of the ways God's great epiphanies can manifest themselves in our lives is through our generosity. Our generosity, how we respond with what God has equipped us with, empowered us with, given to us. The Apostle Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthian church, wrote to encourage the church to participate in its own healing by giving to others. Of course, this message is so different from what we usually hear. Paul didn't guilt the church into giving. He told them that they need not give grudgingly or out of necessity. He told them that their faith showed in their giving and that their giving was much more of a spiritual thing than a physical thing. Paul told them that they had an opportunity to assist in their own healing by giving. So, giving until it hurts is far less of a biblical notion than an earthly Giving until it hurts turns giving into a negative experience. It's demeaning and painful. But in the New Testament, giving is never presented so painfully. In Scripture, God loves a cheerful giver. That doesn't sound like giving till it hurts. Freely received and freely give, that doesn't express giving till it hurts. Jesus said himself, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Sounds like opportunity. Sounds positive. Sounds hopeful. Faithful giving, biblical New Testament giving should never hurt. Faithful giving, scripture suggests, heals. A few years ago, Nicole, some of you know Nicole, my daughter, and I realized we shared the love of a familiar Christmas carol. We would often email each other versions of that song we would find or even call and hold the phone up to the radio as, we were be, as it was being played. After a couple of Christmases, we realized how annoying that was <laughs> and finally formed a truce and stopped the practice. But we still love the carol. Do you want to guess what the carol is? Little drummer boy. I know, little drummer boy. It's all about responding. This song is all about responding to Jesus with our gifts, whatever they may be. Do you remember the words? You're going to have to fill in a lot of the drum parts. Come, they told me. I'll give you. A newborn king to see. This is going to get old. Our finest gifts we bring. 
Now we'll just think about him. <laughs> to lay before the king, so to honor him when we come. Little baby, I'm a poor boy too. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give our king. Shall I play for you? Mary nodded. The ox and lamb kept time. I played my drum for him. I played my best for him. Then he smiled at me. Me and my drum. Come, they told me. A newborn king to see. And then there's a drum solo. <laughs> this story, this song, offers an epiphany for us. As we think about going into this new year, on our own personal journey of faith, but also as a congregation. It's a song that reminds us that we all have gifts that mean something to the king. Gifts that matter. It's the world that always wants to compare, judge, and monetize everything. Your gifts, whatever they may be, they matter. Especially as we pool them together. As many of you already know, this year's theme for our stewardship campaign, following on the heels of our preaching series this fall, Say Yes, is together. Those of us who have said yes to this being our faith community, where God will work in and through us together. Let's ask the question, each of us, what can we muster in our combined gifts to further God's work. And my friends, will you, will you respond to this epiphany season of light by asking yourself what you and your household will bring to the king's work here at Meeting House? Will you offer your time and service to the tasks and ministries of this church? Will you support and encourage the efforts of our ministry partners locally and beyond? And will you financially commit to funding this faith community and its ongoing work and life? Here's an epiphany for us today, my friends. There is more light ready to break forth in and through Meeting House. And together, together with God's help, we can make it possible. So I believe all our gifts brought together for the king will make this reality happen. Let's pray that that be the case as we prayerfully consider each of our own roles in the life of this church, celebrating this great light that has come to us in Jesus.